I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Petinus Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonidas and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that in these few moments as we look at it, that it would be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Amen. I'm so thrilled, Chris, you read that passage with all those difficult names. But isn't it great that Abilene gets a mention? Anyone from Abilene this morning? No? Well, bless Abilene, Lord. Um, uh, as you can see, we're getting ready for Christmas. It's a season of preparation. As you know, that's kind of the theme of Advent, where we take a break from all of our um, day-to-day preoccupations where our minds go, and we zoom out to think about the big questions of life, maybe those uh, themes that we don't always think about. <clears throat> and that's certainly what we're going, uh, what's happening here. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, f- since moving to Texas, weather's become my new fascination because I thought maybe I should have become a meteorologist because they always get it wrong and yet nobody hates them. You know, they can predict tornadoes and there's none and everyone's like, oh, we love our, our weather guy and, and um, you know, so on and so forth. And it's uh, screen time every morning, Sunday at nine, strangely enough, reminds me that I'm fascinated with my weather apps. So, um, but recently in the Pacific Northwest, I don't know if you followed the weather up there, I did because we were in Canada at the time, uh, an incredible rainfall happened uh, just a few weeks ago and washed out a major uh, highway in British Columbia, which meant that all of a sudden the province was divided and they had to switch to a rationing fuel and you know all this kind of stuff. And daily in the city of Abbotsford, they would hear the sound of or the warning system from the U.S. side saying that more flooding was coming. 
Now, this kind of scene we've seen all the time in the weather. It's, it's more common here, I guess, when hurricanes approach for the early war, uh, the, the, um, the, the warning system to go off. And we've even seen footage after Katrina and other disasters where first responders will go door to door telling people, you need to get out. You won't be able to save yourself for what's coming. You won't be able to save your property. I know this is pressure free, but you need to leave. Something big that you cannot control is about to hit. And we're used to uh, first responders going door to door. We're used to the military in desperate times getting involved during emergency measures. And it's the same again and again. You can't save yourself. Act now. Uh, The one thing you don't expect to find is a preacher doing this. You know, it just kind of... It just is not, you don't expect that kind of work to be seen. But this is who John the Baptist is. He is the early warning system of incredible change about to happen. Uh, and he is, we find him in the second Sunday of Advent, ill in the wilderness, and he is alerting the people. He's a herald of change. And all four gospel writers include him. There's a lot they include, there's a lot they don't include. We know that he has a very particular fashion sense, which we'll come back to in a moment. We know that he uh, had a weird diet. I've, I've yet to see the fad. You know, there's the whole 30. We've yet to see the John the Baptist diet of locusts and honey, thankfully. Um, maybe one of you can write the book and tithe the proceeds to us. We'll, we'll be greatly appreciative of that. Um, and what's important here isn't so much who he was. What's important here wasn't his... Um, character, personality, what's important here is his location. And the location means everything. And and so where is John the Baptist? John the Baptist, according to Luke, comes, he's introduced after a list of uh, unpronounceable names of people in authority who don't measure up. And here we have John the Baptist who, if popular culture remembers him at all, it's that his head was served up on a platter. It's as someone who would not bow to the authorities regardless of who they were because of where he was. Uh, he, he, again, he's a strange fi- figure. He's wild, he's eccentric, uh, and he's all on his own. And he's either completely out of sync with culture or the culture is completely out of sync with what's about to happen. And that's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, is the Christian life out of sync with culture or is culture somehow out of sync with what is really going on? And that's a question that's been debated for ever since the church has been around. We know so little about him because he's never the central focus. He's he's the one who says, it's it's not about me, it's about the one who's coming after me. And in some ways, what makes him so, so significant, again, is his location. So, so where is he? Well, in Malachi 3, if you open up your bulletins again to that great reading, we see here the very beginning, Malachi, who is the prophet who's ending the Old Testament. He's ending the Old Testament, and he says, I will send my messenger, this is the Lord saying this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then it goes on in Malachi 4, which you don't have printed. It says, Behold, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. 
And it's interesting, these words about Elijah are so significant because they're about him returning as the very last prophet in the Old Testament. And so as John the Baptist takes the stage and he takes up his role that's been assigned to him, the Jewish expectation at the time was focused on the figure of Elijah who did not die, but in the most one of the more mysterious moments is simply taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. It was probably chrome, but we didn't see it because the chariots were so dazzling. We missed the, the V8 and all that stuff. But anyway, when, that was a joke. There may be more. It's not heretical, I promise. But when Elijah came back, it was thought. When Elijah came back, it would be the sign that the end was at hand. And when you read the description of John the Baptist across the four Gospels, he carries the same description of Elijah. So why did he dress so weirdly? Because it was a sign. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And they said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. And John in the Gospels is dressed the same way as Elijah. And the, everyone at the time would have said, here is someone who is in our midst in the, with the same spirit as Elijah. So where is, where is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the sentinel. He's the one who stands at the dawn of a new world. He stands at the turn of the ages. And why is he there? Well, according to the New Testament, John really is on the frontier. Uh, the image, imagery of the frontier was always something that excited me as a child, uh, the idea of the Wild West, so it's no surprise that I've ended up here in Texas. But G John is on the frontier of the ages, just at the moment before God has arrived or is arriving into the world. And John is going to turn it away from its past of sin. That's what he's heralding. He's heralding a moment where the world will be able to turn away from sin, turn away from brokenness, and turn towards a future promise, a future freedom. It's no real surprise that another variant of COVID-19 has come up. And it's no real surprise the way that oh yes, of course, this is going to get worse. It's no real surprise that everywhere we look, a downward spiral is happening of humanity, and human potential just can't turn it around. But here we have John the Baptist on the frontier of the ages, and he's here to proclaim that the one who's coming is going to reverse that spiral He's going to reverse that downward spiral of human history, and he's going to deliver a message of the invading Son of God, whose goodness is going to permeate everything and is going to result in a total capturing of the world of his goodness. So John the Baptist on this Sunday morning, I know it's early, I know it's, you know, it's a lot to think about first thing on a Sunday, but here we have this, this prophet saying it's the beginning of the end. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The kingdom of God has begun, 
and the wickedness of this world is doomed. The Lord is about to step on the stage of world history to reverse its course. So get ready, prepare. You can see we've got the banners up, preparing. We've got the handbell choir tables out, getting ready for Christmas Eve at 5.30. We're gonna have 50 children if you count me, 51, you know, doing the, the pageant, you know, it's going to be great. And everyone's preparing for, you know, the gifts, because we have to prepare early this year because supply chain, maybe, you know, who knows. Ikea is out of everything. Imagine the day. The Swedes are confounded. <laughs> How did we run out of Blippi or whatever it's called, you know? Um, and we're preparing, but John the Baptist stands and asks us, are we preparing our heart for the one who's reversing the downward spiral of humanity? The goodness of God has begun to overcome wickedness. But what does it look like? This is where it gets interesting. The last words of the Old Testament talk about one who would come, who would turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. It would turn the hearts of children back to their fathers. And so we see that John the Baptist is heralding the new covenant. He's prophesying the arrival of Jesus. But he's also looking, to, he's also looking past Jesus to what Jesus will bring about. And he can see, and as he speaks, it's as if he can see a day when a movement of people marked by Jesus, by Messiah, will further the work of salvation. It's as if he can see the glimpses of the church out there in the wilderness. So he's prophesying a day when hard hearts will turn. How do hard hearts happen? Well, it's, it's simple, really. Um, someone hurts me, and the world tells me to toughen up so that when that happens next, it won't hurt so much. And it works for a time. The problem is the cost. The cost of toughening up means that you lose the ability to love. And you get to a place where you can do everything right, but there's no tenderness. You can achieve everything, but there's no joy. You can do great deeds humbly, and yet it leads to nothing. Because what's governing it is a heart of stone. And so the promise throughout the Old Testament is that one would come who would turn hearts. And this is where Malachi is kind of pointing to Ezekiel, who's pointing to, you know, they're all pointing to Jesus, obviously. Jesus is the answer if you're doing the fill in the blanks. Um, and, and yet it's, it's a, of the arrival of the presence of God who will come and who will fill our hearts with his love. And because of his love, that bit of stone, that bit of our heart that has died because we caused it to die so that we would not get hurt again will come back to life so that we love once again. And so once again, we can turn our hearts.
two years ago, just before everything changed with the pandemic, we were talking with John the Baptist downtown at All Saints Dallas. And a, a man in his late 50s came to me and he said, will you pray for me? I said, sure, what's going on? He said, uh, I haven't spoken to my son in 10 years. And I've done everything. It just, it just doesn't work. I, I, and I need, I need something. And you've said about children turning their hearts to their fathers. And no matter what I do, it just, it's, just, it's just beyond broken. And so he said, okay, let's pray. And it was the most underwhelming prayer time I've ever experienced. I just said, Lord, would you come by your spirit? Would you fill this man with your love so that hearts can turn back to each other? And he yawned. And at best... I bored him. No, at worst, I bored him. At best, it was the peace of God, kind of giving him a little punch, right? And so, anyway, I thought nothing of it. He went home. And that night at 6 p.m., my, I had four missed calls from him. And uh, I finally called him back. I said, what's happened? He said, I got home from church. And I've just been on the phone with my son for an hour plus. I said, that's amazing. What happened? He said, a friend invited him to church. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he's invited me to come to church with him next week because he's getting baptized. I was like, my thought went, that's an aggressive assimilation program. <laughs> Conversion, <laughs> baptism, but I guess you see it in the New Testament. But I said, well, that's exactly what we prayed for this morning. He said, yeah, and I just didn't think it could happen. I said, well, get ready because the Lord has more. And he's the one who un undoes and reverses that downward spiral. It's when we talk about the gift of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, it's this thing of bringing the love of Jesus into our hearts so things will change. I don't know, maybe as, as, you know, as we've been singing those powerful songs, as we've you know, looked a little bit about this guy standing at the frontier of change and talking about what's happened. Maybe there are some of us here today as children or as parents who have been praying and longing for hearts to turn. And maybe it's been so long we've just run out of things to pray about because it feels like the prayers haven't done much. You know, it's funny, when you think about a heart going hard and a turning away, sometimes it isn't a total breakdown of relationships. Sometimes it's not that dramatically outward. Sometimes it's just a quiet reluctance to engage. Sometimes it's a passive-aggressive withholding. I know that's what I like to do. Everything looks fine, but I'm not going to call them back. Or, you know. Um, but when Holy Spirit enters in, he fills us with his love and he transforms our heart and he goes to those places of pain so that they don't hurt anymore and he enables us to love again. This is the time. Jesus really is reversing that downward spiral. The kingdom of God is here. And John stands and says to us that it's time to prepare ourselves. Where are you standing today? Perhaps you need to receive from the Lord. 
If so, we would love to pray for you. We would count it as a real honor to stand with you and pray. Because remember, Jesus' expectation is that you receive, not that you do more. Otherwise, we would have figured this out by now if all we had to do was to work harder. But he asks us to receive, to let him do the work. Perhaps you feel a deep desire to see firsthand that, that reversal we're talking about of the kingdom of God being brought bare, to see God's goodness overpower wickedness, to see brokenness and sin turn to freedom and promise. Well, we'd like to pray with you too. And anything else you brought here today. Because I think, you know, the idea is of a church that's a movement. The idea is that John the Baptist is replaced by a global movement that stands and faces a world overcome in darkness and said, the light has come. It's, it's of a group of people who stand, who may never become famous, we hope, but maybe they do, who say to places and people filled with despair that there is hope. Let me introduce you to him. I remember I was walking a little while ago, shortly after this happened, down a very busy street, and I got talking to a small business owner working their stall at the market, the farmer's market, and um, making wonderful handcrafted items. And we got talking and I asked, what's the story behind this? And said, well, you know, I was looking at this uh, butterfly. And I just said, and I've been having a really awful day, and I saw the butterfly, and I just, oh, how lovely. And she said, you know, that butterfly was her spirit animal, or I, don't, I thought I would have picked a more aggressive spirit animal, but that explains more about me. And we have this conversation about spirit and guidance, and I just said to her, I said, hey, you know, um, if there was a God who was hope personified and who was all-loving, would you be interested in meeting him? And she said, think of the art I could make. I said, absolutely. I could introduce you to him now. Would you like to meet him? I said, no, I've got to do my taxes. I was like, in December? And so, you know, didn't quite get there. But that's the idea. Our world is hungry at every level for hope and love. And the invitation is for you and I to stand in East Dallas, wherever we are, and to say, he has come. The kingdom is at hand. There is something at work today that is changing everything, and we can introduce you to him. So if you would like um, prayer, uh, we, Chris, I know this is total, war I have not prepared anyone for this, it's just... I really sense that there's a moment now that if any of, anyone would like prayer for what we've talked about, just to come down, we've got three options. You come down the, the three aisles, we've got these barricades set up so that you don't all crush us. But if, if you'd like to pray, I'm gonna ask the band to come up and just play briefly in the background. And we're just gonna do a little, offer a little bit of time to do ministry and a little business with God. And if it's just for one person, that's great. Um, but if if you have been facing something where you're desperate for the Lord to, to turn the situation around, whether it's a relationship or something else, we'd love to pray with you. If, if you know maybe that you need God's help 
in an area where things have just become hard like a rock, we'd like to pray for you. If you would like the Lord to empower you to be able to just share hope. You know, the most aggravating thing and most wonderful thing about sharing a bathroom with children is the mess they make with the water after they get out of the tub. But then I thought about that. Wouldn't it be great that everywhere we walk, there'd be puddles of God's presence wherever we go? And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. So the band's gonna play. We're gonna take a few moments. If you'd like to receive prayer, just come forward. Chris and I and maybe a few members of the prayer ministry can come forward and we'll just stand at these three places and, and pray for you and then we'll carry on with the service. How's that sound? Great. Why don't we all uh, stand? And don't worry if there's someone blocking your way out. You can just climb over the pew in front of you and, and just come forward and uh, we'll, we'll spend a bit of time praying and then we'll carry on.